Okay, so. Yeah, so uh, what he was speak, speaking uh, uh, right now is that uh, you said uh, instead of focusing what's writing, we can shift the focus to the to what passed away, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, then it reminds some words in Daniel Ingram's book, The Master Teaching of the Buddha. In his book, he, he said, uh, when you become sensitive to the sensation, uh, you 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 begin to notice the passing away of thoughts or naturally. Uh, I I mean if uh okay, you yes, that's yeah. true, and we can do it naturally in the sense of very passively. But another way of thinking about it, which is actually uh, something that Bhikkhu Buddhadasa and Mahasi himself agree on, is, is that this is to be done actively in the sense of pursuing or chasing down this, in this case that we're talking about, the fading away. To actually actively go after it, to start recognizing directly Things keep dying, they keep passing away, they keep going, this moment is gone, the next moment is new, and this is gone, and it's gone, and everything keeps passing away. That in fact, once we begin to see that, then the first the fading and the passing, and then actually the cessation. And the cessation means that it's actually already gone. It's already gone, okay? So now we're in full-blown sunyata land, is this sensation, or the cessation. After it's gone, so you see first the turmoil, and the turmoil gives activity, and then from the turmoil, we see the fading away. And then from the fading away, we see its death, and then the goneness of it. It's no longer there. Okay, and then the next step is is to relinquish that, is to throw it out, to let it go. So in fact, when I'm talking about stu about uh, to students about Anapanasati in step uh, ten of gladdening the mind, that actually means that step thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen had happened in very rapid succession in the previous mind moments of the student. When they wake up and they see that this is an unwholesome thought and that aha, I see you, Myra, kicks off that process of that rotting away, dying out, it's gone now, and I can let go of it completely and take on the next mind moment. And so that passing away or fading away process is something that we actually want to actively pursue. Why? Because already, all the time, the mind has, has been actively pursuing, grasping, and cleaning at the arising of thoughts. That this is how we grasp a hold of things. And in fact, that's the job of the self-preservation instinct, is to be on guard for anything that could be possibly new happening. And so we're always looking for something new that's about to happen or is, uh, is, is happening. We've already got that training. So when the students sit down to meditate, they are actually capable 
of seeing these things come up because we already have much of that skill, especially if we're looking. So the really first thing that we do is we start to, to see is, is this thought wholesome or not? Is it worth having or not? And so we begin to label or begin to think with the discernment of, uh, is this wholesome or is it unwholesome? Because the gladdening of the mind is surely going to be a wholesome thought that we're putting in and taking out the Mara. Remember me telling you about, aha, I see you, Myra. Okay, that aha, I see you, Myra, will then kick it out of the active or the anicca or the arising phase into the passing away of the fading out phase. And sometimes that happens in the mind within an instant of time, an instant in the sense of about a tenth of a second or so, a mind moment. And so this is beginning. What this is what we begin to look for then, is those moments when things actually look like they're falling apart, fading away, and we want to especially note that with unwholesome thoughts, to make sure that we let them die and fade out, go away, be gone, out of here, and we relinquish them. So this is a way of, of practicing, and, and in this regard, we're talking about something that's done in very early practice. A lot of people who read the book, and they see this somewhere in the middle of the book, and they say, oh, this must be an advanced technique. This is when somebody gets really good at what they're doing, is, is that now they can see the fading away, the arising and the passing away of phenomena. Actually, no. We want to be able to get in actively involved with that process. We want to really jump on it and make it fade. Let it go. Throw it out. Relinquish it. That's what the uh, uh, the, the process is um, uh, geared towards. So this is actually where uh, the Satipatthana and the Anapanasati and all of the other sutras actually do come to an agreement. is in that um, arising is easy and passing away is now the new skill to be learned. So you're suggesting that we can uh, actively let the scene go, go away. Because when I was reading the book by Chula Dasa, the mind illuminated, he encourages such kind of attitude, let it come, let it be. Like all these kind of emotion feelings, like a friend, they just come and go. And if they want to stay, let them stay. Yes, and you can do that, let it be passively or actively. Okay, let me show you the distinction between actively and passively. I've got this little thing in, in the hand. Can, can you see that? No, it's already gone. Aha, let's get it again. Okay, so there's something in the hand there. Now, the easy thing to do is just turn the hand and it'll fall out like that. But, never mind. Uh, if I hold it in my hand and turn it upside down, now I have to actively let it go because I've already actively begun to cling to it. 
And so when we're talking about letting go or relinquishment, it's actually an activity that we have to have in the mind to actively let it go in the sense of throwing it out. Again, a very active kind of thing, just like we seize the mind uh, by seizing the breath and making sure that it's a long in-breath and a long out-breath, we're beginning to control the breath. We can also control the mind in this way by actively throwing it out. So therefore, the rotting away, the fading away, the dying is not just something that we kind of notice out of the, uh, the corner of our eye. It's something that we physically and actively bring about. In order to do that, we have to develop the mind to be very fast. Because it's going to die away anyway. So we have to be pretty fast to grab hold of it and, and wrestle it down and throw it out. You see what I mean? This is actually a, a, a very fairly speedy activity, and yet this is something that's to be done at whatever speed the student can do it. When he wakes up and recognizes that the mind is full of hindrances, is full of unwholesome thought. And we want that thought now, this arising, because while it's arising and coming, we get attached to it. But if we have now the idea we're going to make it fade away, we're going to kill it, we're going to have it go into sensation, it's going to be gone, then we're done with it. And that being done with it is also that act active. So even the step 16 of the relinquishment of Anapanasati is an active thing, just like step one of Anapanasati is the activity of actually intentionally taking a deep, long in-breath rather than just watching whatever breath is there. So when we say the fading away as to be seen as natural, yes, it absolutely is natural, but we're going to get on top of that I don't have a uh, direct experience to get what you mean, but a related question may be, uh, how do you differentiate between pain and suffering? Well, the word pain already has suffering built into it. Perhaps what you're meaning is what's the difference between sensation in the body and pain in the body? Uh, let me be more specific. Uh, for example, when I was doing a retreat uh, in Burma in 2016, at first, uh, you know, when you sit for a long time, your leg uh, will feel quite uh, uncomfortable. Then, yes. Okay. Then I understand that. Yeah. Let me ask you a question first. What's the value of sitting with the leg in pain and uncomfortable? I don't know because that's what uh, the meditation encourages you to do that uh, or... Would you believe that not all meditation teachers teach that? That at Watsu and Mok we do not teach students to try to sit for long periods of time. We try to teach them to get, keep their mind alert for long periods of time, no matter what their posture is in. So if a student gets tired, or his legs ache during the middle of the sitting session or towards the end of it, then it's perfectly okay and part of the instructions for him to stand up 
if he needs to or wants to, he can actually uh, do walking meditation. And years ago, they would be doing walking meditation in the back of the hall, but people would complain. And so now they're invited that if you actually want to do walking meditation during the sitting time, then you can get up out of the sitting and go outside and do walking meditation out there. That's fine. It is better for you to go outside and be in the outdoor breeze and the, uh, the sun or the shade and walking back and forth and being happy than it is to sit in the meditation hall in pain. Pain is not recommended for those who cannot tolerate it. Pain is actually, for the advanced student, a very, very interesting gem to go work out in. But you don't want to take a baby into a gym because the baby doesn't know what to do. And likelihood's going to be hurt by all of that weightlifting equipment. So we need to get uh, big enough and old enough to where we can go work out in that uh, gym called pain. <clears throat> then, in fact, Bhikkhu Buddhadasa makes a big point of that sickness is a wonderful opportunity to practice Dhamma. Why? Because we've got work to do now. I mean, would you rather just be sick and then just be sick, feel sick, think sick, act sick, and are sick? Or would you rather use that as an opportunity to practice the Dhamma while the body is sick, the mind's okay? The body is sick, but it can still breathe well. If it breathes well, it'll probably heal itself faster. So let me do some Anapanasati, get this old machine working and, and breathing well. And by naturally, I'll start to feel better. That in fact, that's what killed people in the coronavirus thing was they weren't breathing. They didn't have the strength of the stamina to put up with it. They were what they would call gas for air, being afraid of it, rather than very slowly, steadily taking in air. And then slowly, steadily letting it back out over and over again until you get plenty of oxygen. So when you're sick, that's a good thing to practice is Anapanasati for a whole lot of reasons. So let's go back to the issue of pain in the meditation hall is almost an artificial pain that you put your body into any posture and leave it there for a long period of time. It'll begin to uh, build up pain. An example of that, just sitting here, take your left arm or your right arm, I don't care, one of your arms and just put it up in the air. All right, and just keep it there for a while. And we'll just continue to talk, all right? Just leave the hand in the air. That's all we have to do. You may start to notice a few things about it. And after 10 or 20 minutes, you'll begin to really notice some stuff about it, all right? But the question is, you know that the arm is screaming in pain. You know that it's doing that. Why are we putting up with this? Is there some value or some reward in doing it later, uh, that we're going to get out of it later? So now we have to do an evaluation of a cost-benefit analysis. In other words, what's the value of holding your arm in the air? Are you holding your arm in the air just because I'm holding my arm in the air and you've already determined you're not going to bring your arm down until I keep, until I put mine down? Is that the idea? Why are you holding your arm in the air? You see, you like, uh, you asked me to do an experiment, experiment so I'll give it a try. 
<laughs> yes, it does have its own benefit for a while, but after a while, the arm begins to get tired because it's doing something. It's in a posture that you're not usually in. And yet this is, in, in fact, what I'm talking about right now, of just raising your hand in the air and just keeping that, is often done in India by guys and leaves their arm in the air for years. They're almost famous as to how bad the arm shape gets in atrophy because they've been proving that they've been keeping it up in the air. In fact, they could not, after so many years of having it up in the air, they couldn't even bring it back down. So I ask you again, how long are you going to keep your arm in the air? <laughs> okay, let's put it down. <laughs> yes, that's right. We, we put up with stuff until we recognize, hey, I, the thought that I'm having now, there's no end to it. And meanwhile, the arm is getting more and more tired. Why don't I let the thing have a rest and now I can bring it down, you see? And this is, in fact, the whole issue that is, is kind of missed by students in these long sitting sessions. That is much better to sit for short periods of time more often a day. Throughout the day, just sit and go into a state of anapanasati, in the state of being safe and secure and happy and comfortable. The Vika Buddha Dasa stresses that issue about making sure the body is comfortable. Now, to him, the lotus posture is the comfortable posture, but that's <laughs> uh, lotus posture is common in Thailand, and it is of enormous effort for Westerners. I don't know about the Chinese. I don't. Uh, I imagine it depends upon your family's history as to whether the children are raised sitting on the floor, and like in South China, and in Northern China they're put on furniture. So if you're raised in Southern China, I imagine that the kids sit on the floor all the time. They even eat off the floor, like they do in uh, Yuan Province. So. That's what determines your ability to sit on the floor is have you been doing it your whole life? And yet in the West, we have the idea that the sitting posture is in fact an important aspect of the, uh, um, the whole practice. And how long can you sit? Where in the, the suttas say nothing about that. In fact, what the Buddha says is go to the forest or to an empty hut or to a pile of straw, or sit under the shade of a tree. In fact, the only point of it is, is to get away from people, to get alone. So an empty hut, your room, that serves as that empty hut. And this is a, an important part. The next part of it is, is just to sit, but you don't have to sit in the cross-legged posture. In fact, the Pali word does not use cross-legged. It just sits. But sit, the most important point is to sit upright. Sitting upright is the big deal. Let me explain to you why. There's two major reasons to sit up straight. One is, is that when the body is sitting this way straight, the gravity is pulling straight down. So it winds up over time being a comfortable posture. If the body is leaning forward or stooped or whatever, 
then that curvature means that the center of gravity is is uh, being affected by that curve. And in fact, this part of the body, if we're leaning over, that means there's going to be tension building up in the top part of the back. Other people will have tension in the lower part of the back, depending upon their way that they're sitting. But the cure for all of it is to make sure that we're sitting up straight. Then there's the other part, and that is the breathing part. While we're slumped over, guess what? It's hard to breathe. And so if we're sitting up straight, then naturally we're open-chested and it's easier to breathe well. So because of that, the, the sitting up correct posture is important. But whether your legs are in a full lotus, a half lotus, a Burmese, a side posture, on your knees, Japanese style, sitting on a Zen stool, sitting on a sofu, none of that stuff matters so long as you can sit comfortably. Because when you give yourself pain, the question is, why would you do that? What value is it? You already know what pain is. Now, if you've got pain that you have to deal with, that is there whether you're sitting. It's not self-induced. It's not actually created, and you know exactly how to get out of that pain. All you have to do is lower your arm to get out of that arm pain, right? That's all you had to do to get out of it. So moving the body is all we need to do to get out of this meditation kind of pain that's induced by sitting still. But there are going to be times when you are going to have to deal with real pain. And then the way to deal with real pain means the real pain that you didn't artificially bring up and you can artificially just whisk right back away, which is in fact, if you think about it, the fading away. The arising of the pain and now intentionally doing something to make it fade away is the right thing to do, as opposed to sit there in pain thinking that the pain is going to be some magical teacher. No, the pain is actually your body giving you information, hey, something's wrong here. We need to do something about this. It's actually a messenger service, and we pay attention to that. So example is, is that if you have an insect bite and it itches, if we are ignorant of it, then we will more than likely scratch it, scratching around it and, and whatnot. In fact, scratching uh, uh, an itchy spot makes it... Uh, the chain, it's, it's almost a good feeling. It's almost a good feeling, but not quite. It's just better than the other feeling of it just itches like heck, and besides, i got to do something about it. And so you can see that ignorance build up because now the scratching is destroying and interrupting the skin that's in the immediate vicinity of that uh, uh, original insect bite, making it grow, get, making it worse because we're not mindfully doing it, but if we will be mindful, we can take and put some ointment on that uh, bite, rubbing it tenderly, saying everything's going to be all right here, and we mindfully take care of it, that insect bite will heal faster by taking correct care of it. So this is the right way to handle um, physical sensations. And there's even more to it than that, and that is that while that mosquito bite is sitting there thumping and, and uh, uh, screaming in sensation, we can actually take a look at it and say, wait a minute, 
where exactly is the sensation that I don't like so much? Because when I begin to look at it closely, the sensation I'm looking for is no longer thought of as pain. That in fact, pain means we want to push it away or get rid of it. But if we're actually looking for it, looking into it, we're no longer pushing it away. Now it's just a sensation that we can observe. And this is what they're trying to teach in the meditation season. And I, and I congratulate them for not hiring a fleet of uh, uh, mosquitoes to come in and wreck your meditation hall just to make this point. <laughs> yeah, I think it, But sitting long periods of time, I don't agree with all, either. There will be times when you do have to deal with pain. Let's deal with it wisely, knowing that most of the pain can be managed by actually doing something to alleviate the body's crying out. In other words, while you're sitting there and the, leg, and the, the knees uh, uh, start to have pain, then, they're, then the knees are saying, please move. Please let me have some circulation. Now, I personally know five guys. I've kept it up over time by now. I'm sure that if I knew the guys, I could find a whole lot more. Starting with Conti Paolo back in the 1970s, Vila Maramsi, uh, Subhu, and uh, other monks actually cannot sit with other monks. These monks have destroyed their knees to the point that it is outrageously painful for no reason at all for them to sit in the very posture that they were training in, but they trained in it for so long that they did damage rather than getting the muscles built up. They worked too hard at it. This is also possible to happen in a gym. Someone can get really hurt in a gym by trying to weight lift weights that are way too much for them. And sitting too long in meditation postures is um, an exact way of doing that kind of damage to oneself. And there's no real value in it. Because, and the way to talk about that is, is that, that, let us say that you could sit still for an hour, once a day, and you, could ha and you had good control over your mind to remove the hindrances. But at the end of that session, you don't think about it, you don't care about it, you're off doing whatever, and to now, all of the hindrances come back and remain for 23 hours a day. Which is going to win here? The hindrances that are uh, so comfortable, so common, and so <clears throat> frequent, or this new practice that we're putting in? This is why I would recommend to do this more often a day for shorter periods of time, because the mind actually gets tired after about 20 minutes, and the body certainly gets tired after a while. So I don't recommend long sittings. I recommend frequent sittings. So instead of taking an hour a day, take four 15-minute sessions or six 10-minute sessions. But let's really work on this sati to wake up moment by moment, taking a deep breath. Every time we take a deep breath, we remember to, and that sati, every time we take a long, deep out breath, again, that sati. So we've got this sati going, and the sati's job is to make sure to investigate, to find, is this wholesome or not wholesome? Is this thought worth having? 
In other words, am I gladdening the mind or am I letting the mind be in the world? Am I taking the mind out of the world or am I leaving the mind in the world? It's another way of, of thinking of it or talking about it. So always we want to have this unwholesome kind of thinking to die out, to fall away. Everything's going to die out and fall away anyway, but with the uh, unwholesome thoughts, we have it intentionally so, to be gone. But by doing that, we get really in touch with the natural arising and passing away of all phenomena. It happens very quickly, in rapid succession, so rapid no one's actually put a time on it. Oh, tenth trillionth of a second, that's how long it takes. Nobody knows. <laughs> But we do know that things happen in pretty rapid succession. Things arise and fall away and arise and fall away and arise and fall away. And the faster we get at it, then the faster we can see it because some things are very slow. For instance, it takes a long time for a mountain to arise and a long, long time for the mountain to fade away. Some kinds of habits are like that too. It took a long time for us to develop that bad habit and it'll take a long time for it to fade away. But so much of phenomena is instantaneous. It happens, it happens, it keeps happening, it keeps happening. And so our job is to be on guard for that stuff that's happening that's unwholesome and throw it out, kill it all. Let's have some emptiness here. Let's have some silence. Yeah, um, I bring, I brought up that question of pain and suffering is that uh, uh, after sitting in the upper torus. Sorry, the connection was lost. Yes, it's back again. Yeah. Uh, what I, I said is that uh, um, I brought the question of pain and suffering that uh, uh, after, you know, sitting along with one posture for a long time after a few days suddenly you feel no longer you are suffered it seems like pain and suffering are different but i don't know how to do it actively it just like the suffering just go disappear by themselves but and you can feel the pain only yeah. when you make sure that the thoughts that are unwholesome are out of the mind, will then the dukkha fade away. That the thoughts are unwholesome, and the unwholesome thoughts will bring up unwholesome memories, and it cascades into dukkha. If you maintain wholesome thoughts, then that will cascade into the positive of feeling relaxed and easygoing, and successful, and um, all of that that goes with the sukha and the pity of first jhana naturally come about because of the kind of thoughts that we have associated with that. But if we are only noting what's going on uh, in a kind of a natural way, then we will allow these unwholesome thoughts to come in and do their damage because we're not paying much attention to the value or the unwholesome quality, or the dangerous, or the dukkha quality of these kind of thoughts. And so as we progress, 
we begin to get better and better at figuring out what is wholesome and what is not wholesome in the sense that there's a continuum. Let's say unwholesome, really, really unwholesome stuff over here. And very, very wholesome stuff over here. Some place we got to come in and, and put a line and say everything on this side of the line is unwholesome and everything on this side of the line is wholesome. By beginning to see what is wholesome and not wholesome, that line begins to move in the direction of the wholesome so that more and more of the things that you used to think were wholesome now wind up, you can see the dukkha in it, and those are to be avoided so that we begin to have just genuinely quite wholesome thoughts. This is the practice that we would go for, and by doing so, we're naturally going to bring ourselves into a state of mind that allows us to feel very, very good very satisfied, very comfortable, very peaceful, feeling as if the job has been done, that we're quite successful. These are the kind of feelings that we want to generate. And this is the, exactly the feelings that the Buddha is mentioning right there in the Anapanasati Sutta that are factors to the first jhana. Is to allow yourself to talk yourself into feeling really, really good and allow all of the other stuff to fade out to fade away. Yeah, so you suggested to do it actively. For now, it, it seems for me like it's like, uh, you know, give the mind uh, enough time to learn about this. For example, you observe, observe your reaction pattern, then just gradually he will know that what is better, what, what is good, what is bad. So he will naturally like, okay, I don't want to react this way. Just uh, he will react otherwise. But it's be like I'm not doing it actively, it's still like passively. Well, the concept of wholesome is the word that we normally use in English for the Pali word kusala. And yet it tends to seem to have a kind of a different meaning. But when we think of wholesome, we think of bringing things together that is whole. And unwholesome means that things tend to fall apart. But the kusala and ekusala is actually the opposite of that in the sense that there is a grass called kusala grass that uh, is such a strong, hard, tough grass that in the time of the Buddha, it was used, they would dry it out, flatten it out, and use it as a knife because it was that strong and it would cut bread and all kinds of stuff. And so they could use that knife uh, and it was kind of disposable, disposable knife because it goes dull easily. But when it's fresh, it works. Can't saw wood with it, but anything that's softer than that kusala uh, leaf blade can be cut with it. So what we mean by kusala means that we can open it up and see what's going on to where a kusala looks like it is hard and tight. So we can think of these in two different kinds of concepts, but the distinction between wholesome and unwholesome then would be that the wholesome tends to be um, free from any more work to do, and unwholesome means yet more work to do. So wholesome takes us into the state of satisfaction, that everything is all right, everything is fine. And unwholesome thoughts take us into the realm of, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this over here, 
even you got to do stuff you really don't want to do, but you got to do it anyway. Your survival depends upon that. And so we get this dialogue running in the mind of unwholesome thoughts, followed by unwholesome feelings, which is basically a reaction to the unwholesome thoughts. You got to go do this. You got to get up and go to work. I don't want to go to work. You got to go to work. I don't care. I don't want to go to work. And by the time this guy has had that dialogue going in his mind, he's trying to talk himself in. Well, I really do feel bad and I don't want to go to work. Please, mommy, in my own mind, don't make me go to work. And so you can see all of these emotions that happen just because of this internal dialogue. If we can come to understand that dialogue, we can bring it to a halt. We can cease it. We can put it down. We can say, never mind. I'm okay right now. This is this also is a way of thinking about it in the sense of um, the kind of thoughts that hinder are also critical thoughts, thoughts of work to do, thoughts of this is good and this is bad. And if thoughts of this is good and this is bad, I've already said this is good because I like it and this is bad because I don't like it. And what we're shooting for here is the integration or the wholesomeness of all things or the nurturing. Or let's bring all of this stuff back together again. Let's let all of this wholesomeness that divides and, and gives us work to do and all of that. And let it go for a while. We can let that die out. We can put that stuff down. So that we can take a few deep breaths and just relax. Just feel good. Everything's okay at this moment. And so we need to get ourselves in a, in a really, really pleasant state. And this pleasant state that we're talking about is, in fact, the definition of first jhana. It's a state of sukha, as opposed to a state of dukkha, which is the dukkha is you got work to do. Yeah, I can feel that uh, in daily life, mm, for example, you you need to finish something before the deadline. There will be more stress. But I think, but in daily life, you have you, you have to play a different role. For example, you you need to be uh, responsible for your job. You need to do so. Okay, so wait a minute, wait a minute. You just said that you were sitting for a long period of time and your legs hurt, and I recommended sit for for shorter period of times like 15 minutes or 10 minutes. And so for 10 minutes, can you say everything is all right, everything is fine? And you're saying, oh, I got to do this all the time. You can't do that all the time. You can't wait, wait. You can't lift those kind of weights yet. You've got to practice getting into that state so that you can see that everything is all right, everything is fine. So don't try to think you got to do this all the time. But you can do it four times a day. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not just talking about the meditation. I mean, for example, uh, uh, if now you are taking a job, for example, uh, so, sometimes uh, maybe you can do it very well, like eight hours. It, it, it's not a problem. Sometimes you're not in good state. Maybe you need a, uh, so that time, but you, you you still need to do like eight hours. Then maybe at the end of the day, you'll feel a bit tired, but you know, you are paid to do this for eight hours. So you need to do your duty. 
but at the end of the day, maybe you can feel a bit tired, then there will be this, this stress. Yes, okay, I understand that. I don't think you're telling me something that I don't know, but you are making a point of it. So what's your point? Uh, are you going to feel bad because you feel tired? Are you going to say, I shouldn't feel tired. Everybody in this factory is tired, but I should not feel tired, and I feel tired just like those people do. What is wrong with me? I hear that kind of stuff coming up somehow. You got somebody behind you. Yeah, it's in my father and my dad. <laughs> okay. So that's a way of thinking is, is that even if you get tired, it's okay that you're tired. Don't be hard on yourself. You don't have to be hard on yourself at the end of the day because you're tired. It's better just to say, okay, I see the tiredness, and that's okay. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, with the tiredness, you cannot focus on the, on the work. You're supposed to, you know, still to finish the work. So you have to kind of push yourself to do the work. Then comes the stress. Okay, but you cannot work every mind moment. The mind is a monkey mind. It scatters around, and you're telling me that you're working so hard that you're not even aware that you're tired. And I'm saying, wait a minute. How do you know you're tired if you're busy working? No, you stopped working long enough to know that you were tired, correct? Um, How did you well, know you got tired at the end of the day if you're also busy working? For example, you, you, you find that you have difficult understanding you are reading now. For example, the question, you, you, it, it feels like you're difficult to come with a new idea, then you realize, oh, I'm, I'm tired now. I can okay. not think well now. Exactly. So let me uh, give you an example by using my finger as what we're doing, okay? And so this is the work. And so working, 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 long time working, Long time working, 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 tired, working, 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 tired, tired, oh, I'm so tired, working, 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 oh, this is too much, I'm, I'm so tired, working, 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 oh, I'm so tired, working, 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 okay, so this is the point, you're not working all the time, you're spending mind moments thinking about being tired, you're spending some mind moments feeling and being tired, which means that while you're working, you're not working all the time. That there's lots of mind moments in there where things are moving back and forth between the working and feeling tired. Right? Can you get that? That you're not thinking about working all the time. There are at least some thoughts in there of being tired. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, Otherwise, you wouldn't even know you had gotten tired. You'd just be tired, but you weren't paying any attention to being tired. You were paying all of your attention into working. And that didn't happen. You actually know every day that you're getting tired. So you're not spending every mind moment in working. This is the point that we're making is, is that because you don't have that kind of focus anyway, that no one there at that, at that factory spends every mind moment of eight hours a day thinking of and doing the work. 
everybody's a scatterbrain. Everybody's got a monkey mind. And so working one moment and then thinking about Aunt Susie and having a fight with Aunt Susie and now I'm back working and now I'm over on Uncle George and now I'm back working and now I've got a problem with the husband and now I'm back working and this is how it goes. It's back and forth all over the place. And I'm asking you, have you not noticed that in your own mind? Uh, if I notice that there's kind of this struggle, like, okay, go to work. Oh, I'm tired. I'll go to work. I, I notice kind of this uh, fight. Then I seem like I can stop this struggle, okay? Now let's take a break. Then there's no more struggle. Then the stress will go away. Okay, so now what I'm inviting you to do, now that we know that we have sometimes, we'll call it mixed motives or mixed thoughts, we can begin to understand that, okay, now we can start paying attention to these thoughts and start judging whether they're wholesome or unwholesome. Because I'm tired can be a wholesome thought or it can be an unwholesome thought depending upon our attitude about it. I'm tired, never mind, back to work is a different thought that I'm tired, poor me. So we're noting the tiredness, but also is it going to be noted wholesomely or unwholesomely in the sense of how do we feel about it? If we have the idea of never mind, just noting tiredness, back to work, everything's good, we'll be, we'll be out of here soon enough, we can handle this. Tiredness or not, we're, we're good to go. Is a different kind of thought than the thought of tiredness, oh poor me, oh I wish I could quit now. And so it depends then on the kind of thoughts, because if you have the thoughts of I'm tired but never mind, back to work, you'll probably be a little bit better at the job than the person who is having the thought, oh I'm tired, oh poor me, I wish we could quit now. You see the difference? Yeah, when you feel this, you, like this kind of thoughts, you come in, for example, uh, you are tired. Uh, now, if you are not mindful enough, you, you, you can, it can, the, the source of self-blaming, then you feel not good. Yes, I, we were talking about that just before, so it will be, I'm tired now and you ought not be. Stop being tired. Come on, buck up. You got to get there. And then there's the other side of you that says, oh, no, I can't do it. Oh, no, that's too much work. You get going. And so now we've got that parent-child thing going, the one who is critical telling you you should do this. And then the tired part saying, but I don't want to. And so now that dialogue is going on. And while that dialogue is going on, there's no thought moments about the work. Now the work is happening on complete automatic pilot because this internal dialogue is going on. And that's why we need to wake up to that internal dialogue, to wake up to it and say, wait a minute, I don't care if I'm tired or not, we can do this. And so now we have it back to the nurturing as before it was critical. You should do the work. I don't care if you're tired or not, you ought to do it. Stop being tired and do the work which is ordering yourself around. It's not nurturing. It's not happy thought. 
but we can take it and make it a nurturing thought. And so this is an example of out there on the factory floor or whatever we're doing, and we get tired during the day. And that also should be a, a, a moment of taking a deep breath. That you'd be surprised at how quickly taking deep breaths will keep us, uh, take us out of tiredness. And so taking a few deep breaths and paying attention to it, you just check that out and see that um, perhaps you don't get quite so tired. Especially as, as soon as you recognize tiredness, then you go through the Anapanasati. This is a good time. Um, other students have asked me questions about this, and uh, it, it winds up being a particular point in time that's an anchor. And so for you, working in the afternoon is an anchor for you to get tired, for you to know it. For another friend of mine, um, his uh, issue was that he gets really frustrated and can't speak straight when his boss comes. And so we worked with that so that when the boss comes up, he can see the boss coming. While the boss is coming, he can get ready for that. He can perk himself up, get himself ready for the boss, which says, oh, here comes the boss. I can handle this. It doesn't matter what the boss needs. I can get it for him. We got this wired. There's a whole lot better thought than, oh, no, here comes the boss. Oh, no, what does he want now? Have I done something wrong? You know, those are the kind of thoughts that, causes suffering before the boss even gets there. We're been in bad feelings. And so uh, working with uh, uh, this particular guy, another one is a violinist with uh, stage fright. Even though she's a masterful professional musician, she still deals with the same stage fright that she did when she was a kid. Until she recognized that she talks herself into stage fright, she talks herself into, I'm going to screw this up. And then she gets set up for it so that she's already got butterflies in her stomach before she walks out on stage. But if she can recognize that going out on stage is, in fact, the time that she needs to take a few deep breaths and reassure herself, we got this wired, I don't care if I screw up half the concerto, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to get a big kick out of this, even if I miss a note or two. That's not important anymore. See, before we're worried about i got to get it exactly right. I've got to do the job exactly correctly. But that's how I get my reward is by perfection of behavior. But the real issue is, no, you can enjoy yourself before you get perfection of behavior. But you don't have to be absolutely 100% excellent in order to get it right. In fact, it's possible for people to play music correctly and nobody enjoys it, and another guy makes a few mistakes, but everybody enjoys it because he's flamboyant and he really likes what he's doing and he bounces around on the piano and it doesn't even matter if he misses a note or two. And so this is the basic the change of attitude that we can practice while sitting in seclusion, you can sit down at work and close your eyes and say for t the next 10 minutes, I've got nothing to do and no place to go. And I'm going to sit here and take a few deep breaths and remove all the unwholesome things out of my head. And whenever one of them arises, we're going to let it pass away immediately. Let it go. 
okay, and come back to the wholesome thoughts, one thought after another after another. This is the right way to practice for a short time during the day to get yourself kind of in the mood for feeling like you can do this. You, you can actually begin to feel successful in your life. Yeah, uh, if you feel that uh, somehow I can do it, though I'm not not clear how I do it uh, exactly. But with more practice, maybe I can, can get a hang of it. You already can do it. It, it feels like that uh, uh, some, somehow I can stop this kind of life struggle, but uh, I don't know how how I manage that. It seems like uh, it's not me I'm doing that. It's like the struggle. Once I, I pay attention to them, the, the, the struggle just stops by themselves. So I don't know. Yes, they do. Everything comes to a rest. Enjoy that. Enjoy that, that it all falls apart. Everything is falling apart. And it's going to fall apart with or without your help. But in that yeah. sense, do, do you think it's like uh, just happened passively? I mean, if you, I'm not into, I don't, uh, so I'm doing something actively during this process. It's just like that, 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 that struggle. You, you're actively watching. You're actively noticing things. But it does take a bit of effort to, to pay attention, to watch, to observe. And when you observe one wholesome thing after another, after another, after another, after another prolonged period of time, now that we know that things are always going to be wholesome, we can relax. But so long as there's a mixture of wholesome and unwholesome, that's the time to be on guard, to be on vigil, so that we can make sure that these thoughts are only wholesome thoughts and not unwholesome. Therein lies the position that everything then has that action to it. But if you can come to the point of arising and passing away, everything is gone and everything is good to go, then now you can finally even relax that. So the first part is, is to uh, throw the hindrances out. But after we have the hindrances thrown out, we can relax again at an even deeper level. All right? And that is just to enjoy the passing, the rising and the passing away, because there it goes. And there's nothing that needs to be done at all, because everything that does arise and pass away is wholesome. It's good to go. And I'm not critical of any of it. If I start being critical again, that means that whole unwholesome thoughts are arising again. So if you can get yourself into that passive arising and passing away and everything's wholesome arising and passing away and there's no unwholesome stuff in it, that's a good place to be. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, what, uh, yeah, uh, I can relax. Uh, what are you talking about in the second part? Uh, I can make sense of that. Uh, 
what confused me is that you, you the first part you said uh, like slow first to throw away the uh the unwholesome unwholesome thoughts then relax into that uh what confused me is the first part you know like uh, slow away the wholesome un, unwholesome thoughts so i don't know how i that's the would, whole point if you have it like that that all thoughts are unwholesome for the beginner then that means if you throw out all your thoughts, then you are in a state of no thought or no mind state. And that means that now that we are in that state, we can't observe much of anything. And so if we get into that state without having all of the other jhana factors, then it's not really a jhana, but it is something like a jhana, but it has no real value. And this is where all kinds of really heavy stuff, because there are hindrances still lurking there that'll come up in fearfulness, in misery, uh, in disgust, in longing. These are the things that can re-arise if we are not, um, let us say, already having the skill of discerning what is a wholesome and what is an unwholesome thought. So in one case, we're saying it doesn't matter what kind of thought they are. There are hindrances out there going, we're only going to be doing noting. But the fine is going to come back. And when it does come back, the question is, does it come back wholesome or unwholesome? Well, the answer is, when we threw it out, it was unwholesome. Therefore, when it comes back, it's probably going to be unwholesome. But if we can retrain the mind into wholesome, then as we throw it out as wholesome, when it does come back, it's more than likely going to be able to come back wholesome. This is another way of looking at it. Is yes, there will be times when you don't have any thought at all, but that's not the issue. The issue is whether when it does have a thought, is it going to be a wholesome thought or an unwholesome thought? The answer to that would be, how do you tell what a wholesome and an unwholesome thought is? That's a skill to be developed. As you see the danger in, in the thoughts, you'll begin to let them go, relinquish them, um, set them in the dustbin, and don't use them anymore. And so we begin to uh, narrow things down so that many of the things that we thought used to be wholesome, now we see they're not so wholesome, and I can get rid of that one too. And now I have even less to do. And that's one of the ways that you can see whether something is wholesome or not, is whether you still have to do something with it or not. An example would be the visa. Right now in Thailand, my visas are very, very easy. It's so easy that I only have to just say something or do something to take care of most of the year, and then it only takes about a day's work to get the paperwork and send it to the lawyer, and everything is done. Ten years ago, the visa was the number one job of my whole life. That months before the visa was due, I was making sure that I had all the paperwork. <laughs> and I wasn't quite sure, and there was doubts, and they'd change the rules and all that kind of stuff. But now the way that I do it is just dead easy. I've done it so many times in so many ways. I know exactly what the procedure is, and everything goes. So this is the way that we begin to practice our, our Dhamma is so that we know exactly how things are going to go. 
which means that we can get ourselves into that state of sukha easily. Easily we can come into a state of sukha and get rid of those hindrances. Because we've been here before, we've done that. But in the beginning, we have to uh, inspect every thought. Is this worth having or is this not worth having? This is one right effort. It's in the sutta, you know. <laughs> okay, I'll uh, try to pay attention to those moments that they struggle and uh, try to make sense of what you are uh, seeing. Let them go. When you see yourself struggling, you can just say, hey man, doesn't matter why I was struggling, I don't have to. You don't have to say why I'm struggling. That's just another form of struggle. You've got to go find out why. No, we don't need to vote no why. We can just say, I don't care. I don't have to struggle. But uh, how this, uh, would, would you comment on this? I mean, if you ask some question why, maybe you, you change your diet, you, you, you would kind of do sports. You, you feel like that it Ah, but you're looking for something big and long-lasting and whatnot like that. And, I, and, I, and what I will say is, yes, that kind of investigation is worthwhile also, is to be careful. And if you're taking medication, look at what um, um, uh, effect that medication will have on the body. If you're eating a different kind of food, notice the effect that that food is having on the body. Yes, let's do that. But what we're talking about it, uh, in the Anapanasati directly is to notice that some of the food that we eat is nothing but a thought. And so we need to actually investigate and look in, in that. Is this a wholesome thought? Is this, is this thought going to give me indigestion or what? Is this the kind of thought that's wholesome or not? Because, in fact, much of the un a wholesome behavior is because of the unwholesome thoughts. And so as we have more and more pure thoughts, we have less and less behavior. And the behavior we have is generally noble, well-received, friendly. Uh, you just said with more and more pure thoughts, we have less behavior. Mm -hmm. You mean we'll have what less... What I'm saying is that most of our behavior is unwholesome. Most of our behavior is fixing things that aren't broken. Most of our behavior has to do with buying things that we want, and after we own them, now we've got to take care of them. And if we didn't buy them in the first place, then we wouldn't have to take care of them. Okay, so as we live in more and more wholesome thoughts, that means that we want less and less, and we stop buying so much stuff. And when we stop buying so much stuff, we don't have to work so hard to get the money that we need to buy the stuff. And so it circles downward in the sense that the easier I take it, the easier things are, the less work I have to do, the less work I find to do, and the less work I find to do, the less work there is to do. And so we, we spiral downward into a state of more and more rest, more and more peace, 
But in the normal world, it's more and more work to do, more and more anxiety, more and more hills to climb. And so this is quite opposite of what we've been training to do with our um, skills of life, skills of uh, uh, what you would call critical thinking. And now we're just nurturing ourselves into a nice state of peace and quiet. Everything's okay. Okay, I can make I can uh, make sense of that. Well, good. Let's go practice that. Let's just go practice just being okay. Let's have some wholesome thoughts. Everything is all right. Everything's fine. No place to go. Nothing to do. No work to do. No problems to solve. And we can do that for ten minutes a day. Just having the kind of thoughts of, wow, isn't this a nice world? Isn't this a good breath? Isn't this a nice moment? Everything's going my way. Okay, I'll have a try. All right, great. Well, we'll see you later, Kobe. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.